0: I'm uh, here back with my good friend, uh, Nijay Gupta, AJ Swoboda for the In Faith and Doubt podcast season three. We uh, just had the chance to talk about going to church uh, and being a part of the church after the pandemic experience and what that looks like. And we just felt like a fitting uh, sec- follow up to that was let's talk about something a little lighter. Uh, let's <laughs> let's get into something that maybe. um I don't know it was a bit more boutique, sweet, you name it. Let's talk about hell. <laughs> so how in the world Nijay? and this I get this question all the time from students, yeah, of course. How do you have faith in a God that creates hell and and the the question is often framed in in these sorts of terms I, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this. I could never believe in a God who, and then you put in. The blank. Yeah. I could never believe in a God who thinks that way about sexuality. I could never believe in a God who created hell. I could never believe in a God that, uh, that judges or something like that. And that's a really interesting rhetorical way to deal with the hard things of the Bible, because what we're saying when we're saying that is we're saying God is worth being believed in so long as he fits with our Western 21st century post enlightenment ideals that we will love God as long as that God sensibly fits in our way of thinking. Yeah. It's a very subtle way of saying, I will love God as long as he is like us. We we have to be very cautious about creating a theology that just fits around our sensibilities. That That is actually what the slave owners did. Yeah. Uh, the slave owners created a theology that said, Um, we are going to fit the Bible around our needs and our wants. It is to say, God, we will love you as long as you give us what we want. It's consumerism. It's uh, a new form of relativism that God, yes, created us in his image, but we sure as heck have permission to return the favor. So we we can't begin with the emotional side of this, because at the end of the day, if we just bend our theology around our emotions – there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to chuck from the christian tradition yeah that's that's not that's not the approach so really the conversation about hell actually has very little to do with hell first it has to do with how do we know what we know about God mm-hmm. it is a question of authority it is a question of what tells us what is true and what tells us what is not true and both you and I are are committed to a robust um, we are committed to the, the biblical text. We want to yeah. go where the biblical text leads. We are committed to forming our theology around the text, not forming the text around our theology. That is a beginning point. We have to begin it. We, we, we cannot start with, well, our emotions feel like this just doesn't uh, uh, work. Um, I remember years ago, there was a uh, University of Oregon that, which is right across the street from where we're at right now, did a study in their psychology department on uh, the the nature of hell. And it was, they asked this question, does belief in hell actually change the way someone lives? And the psychology department um, found that um, belief in hell directly changes the likelihood that somebody will commit a violent crime. It actually turns out that if you believe in hell, you are far less likely to commit a violent crime. And there's a reason behind that. When you believe in some kind of judgment, when you believe in some kind of having to face what happened, it changes the way you live. Mm -hmm. And that the idea that there is no judgment, no no facing anything, there's a freedom to do whatever you want to do. How in the world can we believe and trust in a good God who created hell? Isn't it shouldn't we doubt that God that created hell? AJ, what do you think?
1: Yeah, again, I get this question so much and it bothers people and and rightly so. I mean, you know, I AJ and I casually sometimes talk about that book Love Wins that was written by Rob Bell like 10 years ago or maybe a little bit longer than that. And uh, it was hugely popular and it kind of proposed um, this idea that, uh, you know, death isn't the end and that, you know, Christ can still minister to you and convince you of the gospel after you're dead and that love will win and so forth. Um, When I get into discussions that end up into debates about hell, um, we're starting in the wrong place when we ask, what temperature is hell? Mm. Uh, is it 700 degrees? Is it a thousand degrees? We we want to get into the nitty gritty. And as you've done just now, the right place to start is the question, uh, if there is a God who has created the world, um, is, is, does he have the right to punish? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we want to create our own religion, we're put into, you know, a room uh, with some pencils and crayons and paper and we can create our own religion – we probably would create a religion with no major punishments. Yes. But, um, you know, as we know, growing up, um, two things. One is life has consequences. I'll come back to that in a moment. And number two, if, if we're left, you know, with a task with no punishment, um, we're going to, as you just mentioned, we're going to treat that differently. Yeah. Um but I think people have a real hang-up. Oh, you know, how can, how, can, how can something small like our, our life and life choices uh, lead to such a heavy punishment? And what we'll get into later on, we might get into later on what I think about um, what hell is like. But you think about something like um, getting pregnant, uh, you know, when you didn't want to. Uh, that's a, a choice you that was made, careless or not. That led to a major consequence or, you know, we were just talking about in Florida, there was this great tragedy of these buildings uh, collapsing, many people suffering, many people dying. And what was hard for me as I saw the news is someone was responsible for that. Unknowingly, nobody, nobody goes home from work as a building inspector right? right. thinking, oh, well, um, someone's conscience is being tortured. Yeah. On the basis of that bad choice to not initiate yeah. a repair order on that building or whatever it was, I'd heard that they had known about building problems in those buildings for a couple of years. And so we we know the idea behind consequences. Um I'll I'll tell you a little story when I think about how to talk about divine punishment and divine justice. I wrote a commentary on first and second Thessalonians a handful of years ago. And several times in those letters, uh, Paul talks about divine wrath. Mm. And that word, AJ, just rubs us the wrong way. Because wrath in our modern language sounds like a God who's having a really bad day and taking it out on us. Yes, When we say God has wrath... We think of God just going berserk and just beating the crap out of people and just being mean because he's in a bad mood. But that's not actually what that word means. So the Greek word that I was translating was orge, which means anger. And most of the time in the Bible, when anger appears, it's a bad thing because it's human anger and human anger can get out of control. We all know that anger is not... A good or bad emotion, it just is. But James talks about, you know, human anger does not bring about the righteous life, meaning we get out of control with our anger, right? And then we impose that on God that if we go crazy with our anger, surely God does too. But if we look at only the occasions in scripture where God is angry, it's always talked about positively mm. because he's angry about injustice. And so I decided to translate orge not as wrath but as God's anger for justice. Hmm. When you start to think of it about human life and responsibility from the perspective of God's viewpoint, then things change. Now that doesn't justify burning someone in a lake of fire for, you know, all of eternity, but it gets start thinking about the responsibility we bear Mm. and this idea we should know better. When we look at major scandals, when we look at political scandals, we say that person should know better. When we look at pastoral abuse scandals, sexual abuse scandals, we say that person should know better. And you know what? We want them to be punished. We want justice. Yes, Yes. Um, I'm sure you've experienced this, AJ, but uh, I'm a strict parent. At least I think I am. And so we're really strict with device time. We're really strict with uh, snacks and junk food. And we're really strict with getting our kids out exercising and fresh air and things like that. And it's and, and it's always shocking when I meet a family where the kids have no rules. Mm. They have tech time at the table during dinner. Uh, they have endless screen time, endless video game time. They stay up as late as they want. They eat junk food all day. And we look at them and we say, that's not love. Hmm. It's not loving your child to let them do whatever they want. It's They're, enabling. Yeah. I have a responsibility as a parent to say to my kids, "You do this again, you're going to get in trouble." Yeah. And so we have to start with the question: uh, Is it okay for God to to claim justice yeah. when He has given direction and responsibility to the
0: the creatures that He's created? Who we yeah. are. Yep. Yeah. So I hear, I hear she, she's saying two things, Nijay. Two, two kind of fundamental points. No, number one is that, um, that we all have on some level, even the person who doesn't like the idea of hell at the end of the day does have a concept of judgment and, and that, that there there is punishment built into their framework. I mean, I, I think for example of, um, the, I can just imagine some of my friends who uh, would say, I hate the idea of hell but really want all the January uh, 6th uh, protesters to spend the rest of their life in prison. Right. So we, 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 we don't want God to be the one who judges, but we sure as heck are going to spend our life doing it. Um, That there has to be some level of judgment. We all have it. It's not as though we, God, is the only one who's just lurking to judge. We actually are quite judgmental ourselves in the sense that we, we want there to be punishment. And I think the second thing uh, I hear you saying, uh, Nije, uh, is that an essential element of love is judgment. In, in essence, to, 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 to live in a world where the pedophile is allowed to get away with whatever they want, that's not a world of love. Right. That actually you need judgment in order for there to be flourishing of life, that judgment actually becomes. It becomes a. It, yeah, I mean, when, when you go back to Genesis one and two I, and three, it, it's striking, isn't it, that the the serpent comes to the, the the woman and and says, "Did God really say?" So he asks a question, and then immediately after asking the question about what God had said, he says, "Oh, you certainly won't die." Yeah, uh, D. A. Carson in one of his uh, book says um, the first doctrine that the, the serpent denies is the doctrine of judgment. You do you, it's fine. No worries. That he, he wants a world without judgment, which is brilliant because if you do away with judgment, you can get people to do anything else. right? Right. Judgment. We see it as, as sort of the, the, the winners of history or something like that. When in reality, judgment is actually God sticking up for, he's sticking, he's, he's standing up to injustice. He's standing up to what is wrong. I mean, my problem, I I actually never let read Love Wins, largely because I didn't want to talk to people about it. So I knew if I read it, I had to talk about it. Right. But the concept of universalism to me um, doesn't work because it it is actually more coercive than the idea of hell. Because universalism claims that all will be with and present to God. Yeah, for eternity. Well, that's really bad news for somebody that doesn't want to be with God. Right. It's actually quite coercive. Hell actually, ironically, hell actually protects free will and it protects people not having to be coerced into the presence of, of God. And that to me, I, I don't remember who it was, but I, some theologian said that hell is actually God's, God's highest expression of hospitality. Yeah. That he like is actually that. he's actually extending freedom in the eternal dimension to all beings. To me, universalism is way too judgmental. It creates way too much forced presence. Um, whereas hell actually honors people's desires.
1: Well, my, my you know, th- that that's fascinating theologically. I, I'm thinking practically, especially right now of, uh, and I'm a convert to Christianity. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I was not, you know, baptized by my parents or anything like that. And so, um, you know, I think I have a different experience than a lot of other Christians who kind of just grew up in this nice church atmosphere. Uh, I grew up knowing um, what it was like to not know God Mm. and to be far away from God and to discover the gospel and to be really found in this blessed new thing that's given me life and has you know, yes. turned my life upside down. And um, one thing we're taught over and over again in the New Testament is the urgency of the decisions we make today. If you just do a word study, I did this one time, of the word today hmm. in the New Testament, in the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, you see there this urgency, receive the gospel today. Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, today, today. Hmm. And I feel like this universalistic, no hell, everything will be fine eventually, gives us no purpose. Hmm. It gives us no urgency to say, what am I going to do today? Yeah. How am I going to make sure that I'm following God today? Now, the danger is that we become dependent on our activity or works for you know uh being acceptable to God and that's that's not the way the gospel is at all but um over and over again scripture points to this sense of the choices we make in this life are crucial yeah you know it's funny I, my my daughter is uh, in high school now which is crazy to think about but um it's just true the choices you make in high school in many ways, can set you up for great success in life. Yes, or for you know having to work extra, extra hard in college. Um, you could make some really important choices in high school that will set you up for college and for after and relationships and other things. And on the other hand, you could do nothing and kind of just party and hang out and 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 just kind of glide through. And so we all know what it's like to have a certain moment in your life. Yep. That is really pivotal for setting yourself up. And the scriptures point to our earthly time as that sense of urgency. And I feel like if there were no hell and there's no consequences, then where is this motivation going to come from? We can talk all day about how nice a religion Christianity would be without consequences. But is anybody really ever going to be invested in it? I, there hmm. is this sense of, um, I know that you don't want to make the choice, but the choice has to be yeah. made yeah. now we can't put it off until yeah. later 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 so
0: hell then becomes niJ the extension of the trajectory of our life it becomes if if my current way of living never had any change you know if I was a completely self-centered narcissistic person who had no life oriented around the life of God hell simply becomes the after party it just becomes the the, the continuation of the same story. I mean, isn't that the parable of the, the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where you have the story of uh, yes. this beggar who, uh, uh, you know, day in and day out, um, begs for food from this rich man. The rich man, um, eventually dies, goes to Hades. And then while he is in Hades, he, he begs the, the, the poor man to bring him a cup of water. It, it, isn't it interesting that in, 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 the, in the place of judgment in Hades, the rich man still has the self-centered view that everyone's job is to serve him. Yeah, right. It becomes the continuation of his earthly story in the eternal ongoing realm. Dallas Willard once said, hell is the best that God can do for some.
1: Yeah. That,
0: it, that it's actually the best option God can give to some that even in hell, God is extending his best opportunity to people in rebellion. Now, how is that, how is that not actually great news? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, hell's a con, but you and I both know people, we're not talking about something this abstract. I, 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 I have family members who this is a conversation about somebody we're talking about people, real people, right? That we know. Okay. Um, but doesn't that speak to God's goodness that God honors honors us and, and gives us the desires of our, of our heart?
1: You know, I, um, a few decades ago, I think, um, this was a real crisis for the, the famous pastor writer, John Stott. Um, he was, you know, in the midst of, of studying this issue and, and he came to uh, change his view on hell, famously. Uh, he originally had a view of what's called uh, eternal conscious torment, ECT, yeah. Uh and he came to a view that's called now annihilationism, or there's some other terms for it, um, where where the person is not conscious, um, and it, you know, and I think one of the arguments is you know we're in heaven someday, and many of my extended family are are Hindu and and uh, they like Christianity but they don't have a commitment to it, um, and how can I enjoy you know, eating French toast, you know, and bacon in heaven. Mm. Uh, When, when I, you know, I think about all my relatives uh, suffering uh, in, in, in hell. Um, One thing that I tell my students is the scriptures don't speak literally about what hell is like. We don't know that the scriptures don't say what hell is. They only say what it's like. Mm. In the same way, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. Yes. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is. So for example, rivers flowing with milk and honey, I'm lactose intolerant. So (laughs) I would rather if they were flowing with almond milk, maybe some cashew milk, um, touch of honey is fine. But um, these are metaphors that we use. That doesn't mean hell is metaphorical, but we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I'll tell you honestly, because hell is one of those things that Does keep me up at night. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does trouble me. And I don't feel good about it. And I don't ever want to say that um, I've come to a view that is just neat and tidy and everything's fine. But um, you mentioned uh, C.S. Lewis before. Lewis has written some really excellent things on his view of judgment. And a couple of things really stand out to me that reflect, I think, a really healthy reading of scripture. One is, when scripture talks about uh, hell as eternal, um, Lewis, Lewis talks about this, I think it's in, um, I'll, have to, I'll have to remember which book it's in, but uh, he talks about it as not so much a really long time, as much as unchangeable. Mm. It's a fate that's unchangeable. Our fate now is changeable, right? We can repent. We can seek God. We can ask forgiveness. We can, you know, quote unquote, accept Jesus, right? But once you die, right, this idea of eternal uh, eternal life and, you know, resurrection or condemnation, um, you can't change it then, right? No changing, no changing your mind. And we know what that's like because when you buy a flight, right, and you put your name on it, you that's can't changing. change it. Yep. You can't change it to someone else's name. So we all know what that's like. The other thing he says, which I found really interesting, and it's kind of one of those lewis things, so it's hard to prove from scripture, is he says, hell is locked from the inside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The, the door locked from the inside, yep. Yeah, yeah, the door is locked from the inside. By that, he means no one's in there, doesn't want to be in there. That's yeah. kind of what you were getting at. But I get this a little bit from The Great Divorce. If you haven't read The Great Divorce, it's not a Bible study on the Bible, It's an imaginative kind of allegory of of, um, light and darkness, so to speak. But I love using Lewis's image of the gray town, the gray place, as what hell is like. Because uh, the way I explain hell to people is it's a place where God has taken away all of his grace. He's removed his grace from there. And so you have this place, this gray place. And it's even scarier in some ways than hell. Because it's a place where people continue to move further and further away from each other. And all they do is fight and bicker. And what's funny is they don't know they're unhappy. And they don't even know where they are. And I'm not saying this is a literal literal description of hell, but I feel like Lewis has really captured the essence of what it means for someone to turn away from God. Hmm. And the essence there is um, you become unhuman you have the kind of shell of humanness uh but you don't have the essence of of humanness and to me uh you know i think it's that sense of of unconsciousness there um you kind of shrivel up into uh into this form of existence that um that doesn't really even know it's 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 suffering yeah Um, And I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't have the answers, AJ, about what hell is and whether you're sitting in a lake of fire or whatnot, but I will tell people, and I truly believe this, um, it would break God's heart to see a vast majority of his creatures suffering in torment for eternity. I mean, that God is compassionate and gracious, however it works out. We will still believe that in eternity. We're not all going to go up to heaven, me and AJ and all of our Christian friends, and then say, oh man, I thought God was gracious, but now that I've seen more clearly what hell is, geez. I don't know how, but the scriptures at the same time tell us that God will uphold justice for what he expects from his creatures and that the time on earth is crucial that we make the right choices to give give our lives over to God. And on the other hand, of course God is infinitely yes. compassionate. Yep. If we have compassion for our relatives that don't know Jesus and we love them, how much more the God that created us? Yes. Right? I don't know how that works. But I don't think there's another worldview that just makes it out work out perfectly. So, to me this is one of those mysteries, honestly AJ. I I I would I would be afraid to preach a sermon on this because it's very difficult. But we just have to accept a paradox there that 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 our choices here have infinite consequences. And at the same time, of course,
0: God is gracious and merciful. Yes. We, you know why we need hell, NJ? This is why we need hell. Aside from the fact that scripture, <laughs> that, that Jesus talked about it way more than they talk about heaven. Why do we need it? We need it because followers of Jesus need the concept of we need hell. Yeah. We need, we need to know there is judgment for us. And when I say that, I mean, when you look at all the references of Jesus uh, in the New Testament to hell, the group that he most constantly warns about hell are his own disciples. Yes, absolutely. That hell actually plays a a consistent role in holding Christians accountable to the gospel that they proclaim to believe. And I love that, by the way, you said I know that you said it intentionally because you are a Greek savant and know your languages quite well. You did not say that God tortures, that God torments. Yeah. And actually, the the word torment, when you referenced the rich man and Lazarus story, um, at the very end, the rich man says, "I'm here in torment." Mm-hmm. The word torment uh, is found very rarely in the New Testament, but one of the other main occasions it's found is when Jesus is a a little boy, 14, 15 years old, and he gets lost in the temple and his parents, uh, he, he, he gets left behind in the temple. His parents, Mary, Joseph, the family go back, find him. They confront Jesus and say, we have been anxiously searching for you. The word torment. Yeah. The idea of torment is not torture. It is losing something you love. Yeah, and And hell is a place of torment because you live knowing you have lost something that was so good. It's not torture. It's inner torment. It's a constant knowing what has been lost. When you have lost, I had a friend who was writing his PhD, got to year four and he spilled water on his computer and he never backed it up. He never finished PhD. He still did to this day, uh, still ABD. He never finished four years of his life hmm. living in torment, knowing what could have been. Christians need to know. We are held to account for this good news that we believe, and, well, and 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 to just jettison it out is actually just a way of saying God will never judge us.
1: Yeah, and I, I like that you said that the message is for uh, you know the, the people inside uh, you know of this community. Um, there are occasions where you know it was preached outside, but same thing with the prophets. Um, yeah. You know, we were just my wife, family was just on vacation. And we, uh, we saw a bona fide soapbox hell fire and brimstone preacher, and my kids have never seen one before, so they just stood for a while and gawked and took it all in. <laughs> and what's funny is, they think they're these you know soapbox preachers, they think they're just like the prophets. But the prophets predominantly, not always, but predominantly, were condemning Railed, Israel. Yeah, yeah. They weren't condemning the nations. No. They weren't being sent out on a mission trip to go condemn the nations. Yeah. They did do that, but they did not sometimes. the predominant. No, the main yeah. thing was, you know, the language we used in seminary was covenant lawsuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have briefcases and dark glasses and they go in and they open up and they say, hey, listen, yeah. you, you know, breach a contract. And, um, you know, it's funny, I've brought this up before with friends, you know, I read Jonathan Edwards in seminary and he has a famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yes, yes. But the title is often misunderstood because uh, – God is angry and he does judge, but the sinners are still in the, his hands. He hasn't mm. let go of them. And so even though Jonathan Edwards was you know, famously known as a, as a hellfire brimstone preacher, that sermon was actually about God's grace. Uh, mm. At least a major part of mm. it was. Um, but, you know, I think, I think the people that have trouble with the concept of hell in in the Christian religion – uh, they kind of take for granted um, how much of how much that's a part of God's wider concern for making the world right, hmm. and making the world right as you've mentioned before requires justice. You think of people like Gandhi, who actually really liked the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount talks about judgment. Martin Luther King Jr. very passionate about justice, all coming from the Bible that also talks about judgment. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll i tell you a little bit of an embarrassing story. I was in high school and um, I wanted to be in plays and musicals, but my parents uh, also encouraged me to be in sports. And so I had to find a sport that had the least, the lowest expectations <laughs> so I could miss practice a lot. So I ended up playing tennis and I was a terrible tennis player because nobody forced me to become better. Mm. Hmm. I would just turn up whenever I felt like it and I would miss lots of matches and turn up to a match here and there. And I was seated second to last. Hmm. Uh, And there was a, there was a key reason for that. It was just sort of a fun hobby. It wasn't something that was that, you know, I don't want to say my feet were held to the fire because now now that sounds dangerous, but nobody ever held me responsible for being part of that team, Hmm. for being a contributing member, for getting better, to holding to a higher standard. Yeah. And I think about those experiences in life where, like a PhD, um, you know, you think about, you know, I I had a good friend too, who, you know, did all that work and then uh, it's pass or fail. There's no third option and he didn't pass. And it seems so Hmm. cruel. Hmm. You think, oh, don't you get a participation trophy or whatever? No, it's a pass or fail thing. You got to rise to that, you know, and that adds gravitas to that program that adds, a bit of extra pressure to those programs. Yeah. Same thing with tenure at some major institutions. I didn't realize until about a handful of years ago that you don't get a second chance. Mm, <laughs> mm. You either get tenure or you get essentially fired. Mm. And it's not like that at the places I've taught, thankfully, in some ways. But uh, those programs, you got to have some respect for them in the sense that, you know, you got to rise up. You got you to gotta win this thing. Yeah. Um, and, and in some way Christianity is driven, uh, it's not driven by, you know, hell, but it is driven by God having expectations for his people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know you're saying, you know, sometimes you've said that's hard for people. Uh, it's hard for people the other way around too. If you have this religion that's sort of just turn up whenever you feel like, and yeah. we'll have a nice positive message for you.
0: Yeah. That kind of religion of no judgment works really well for people in power. Yeah. Um, when you've never been hurt, when you've never been harmed, the idea of a religion without judgment is the greatest news in the world because there's no injustice. Y- you know, you know this, Nijay. that the, a lot of theologians and biblical scholars have, have noted that in the Old Testament, there's a very, very, very mushy, theology of eternal judgment. It's very unclear, (laughs) but very clear in the New Testament in terms of hell. And a a number of historical theologians, biblical scholars actually argued that the concept of hell really concretized, took place in the intertestamental period Mm -hmm. when the Jews were facing so much persecution and hatred and exile and marginalization that they had to have something to deal with. God, where are you? You, There has to be someone that makes all this right. I'm not saying that that is the theology of hell is merely a response to the, the Jewish exile. But the idea of no judgment is great news for people in privilege. Yeah. But the idea of judgment is actually beautiful news for people who have been deeply, deeply wronged. I want to close with this. Is this fair to say? I think this is fair to say. The problem is not... Okay. I, rem- I, re- I read this book by a guy named Adrian von Com. Okay. He was a, he was a, 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 a he was a, pr- a, a Dutch priest during world war II. And after the war, he uh, spent his life studying uh, psychology and spirituality. Some of the most, uh, the, the oddest stuff ever. I've, I've read one of his books that made almost no sense to me, but he, he tells this story of meeting a nurse who, um, was he, he asked the nurse, do you enjoy caring for lepers? She was a nurse for lepers. And he says, uh, this nurse says to Von Kamm, says, you know, I don't like caring for the lepers, but I am doing what God has called me to do. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that line, I don't, I don't like what I'm doing, but I do it because it's the right thing. I think a lot of Christians fear that they're supposed to like hell. Right. And there's nothing in scripture that tells us to enjoy it. No. We're not called to sit back and go like, yes, finally. It actually should break our hearts. It should, it should cause us to grieve. We're not called to like the idea of hell. We're called to believe in it. And to believe in it actually is to say, I hate it. I hate hell. Right. You hate hell. Nobody yeah. wants it yeah. as though God loves it. God doesn't relish hell. God hates it. But it is true. We're not called to like it. And actually, it's the people who like hell that really creep me out. If you like hell, you, you probably just have somebody in your mind you really wish that was there. And you're just sort of, you know, doing the Woody Allen thing. Hell is where hell is a place for people that go that I just don't like. And that's that's not what hell is. Hell is not the abode of people that just drive you crazy. That's not what hell is. Only God, only Jesus, the one who dies on the cross, gets to be the Lord of hell and gets to make those decisions. And it should trouble us. But just because it's troubling doesn't mean we undo it. Would you say that's true?
1: Yeah. I mean, you think about a, a major criminal who's been sentenced to, you know, a life in prison or whatever. Um, you might rejoice over the, you know, the the sense of justice being carried sure. out, yeah. but you would not rejoice over the suffering of a human. No. I mean, any human, uh, because that's someone's child, that's someone's son or daughter, yes. that may be someone's mother or father, yeah. someone's brother, sister, cousin. Um so initially, you feel that, oh thank goodness the jury made that decision, that was the right decision, but as you think about that person in their life, it's grief, it's yes. it's, it's you know that could have been me you know yeah. i'm I'm one bad week, one bad day away from you know getting myself into trouble yep yeah. um so no yeah, I agree you don't you don't rejoice over it um,
0: Nijay, have you ever been to a Passover feast? I have not. Yeah. I've been to one Passover feast. Um, Our friend Courtney uh, did a Passover meal in our home. This was a number of years ago. There's a moment in the Passover meal where you have a a glass of wine and your plate is in front of you. And you take your finger and you dip your finger in the wine and you sprinkle it 10 times on the plate, Mm -hmm. representing the 10 plagues. Yeah. But here's the rule. In a Passover meal, you never lick your finger with the wine on it. Because for one reason... It is to symbolize that God never relishes or enjoys the death of anybody. Wow. Yeah. And this idea that God like enjoys this or that we do is creepy. Right. Breaks the heart of God. We don't enjoy it. So I'm so glad we dealt with a pretty light topic here. um, (laughs) where We came to be covering, covering this sort of surface level things, but in a weird way, in conclusion, in a weird way, I think we can rejoice in knowing a God who is doing his best as he can for everybody. As Dallas will said, hell is the best God can do for some and that our God gets angry about things. And he should because injustice should be faced And a God that just sort of claps his hands and says, no judgment, do what you want. Is that really a God? No, I don't think so. Well, this is in faith and doubt. Um, thanks for joining us. Nije. Thank you.
1: I actually enjoyed the conversation. So thank you, AJ. Yeah, me too.